Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by my college basketball partner in crime. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2. I know him as Bill Christie. The second weekend of the NCAA tournament is getting closer. Normally, it would be here today as we record on a Wednesday night. You listen to this on a Thursday morning. Uh, but with the scheduling quirks, we got to wait a few more days until the Sweet 16 gets going on Saturday Going to talk some first weekend narratives and give out some picks in the second half of the podcast. Bill, good to have you back again. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenal, man. It's been a it's been a fun tournament to start. I, I was talking to some of the guys at a different podcast last night, and we I was talking about the fact that uh, I think I saw it's been 11 upsets so far this tournament. That is defined as five seeds lower, correct? Right, yeah. So 11 already, one away from tying the record for the entire tournament, um, which I have a feeling we're going to see that uh, this weekend. But, uh, you know, it it was kind of wild in that respect, but at the same time there was a little bit of normalcy, at least I felt that way, of actually having the tournament and watching the games throughout the day and, you know, you didn't have the fans in the you know in the crowd, and you didn't have um, you know that kind of backdrop to it. But 
in all essence, it was an amazing first couple of rounds of basketball, and I'm excited to get to the Sweet 16 now. Yeah, and let's before we um, get into some of our other takeaways from the first weekend, let's talk a little. I'm curious on your front here about the scheduling changes. I did not mind the Friday through Monday as much as I thought I would. Uh, definitely would have liked to have had that Thursday, but beggars can't be choosers. We still had those four first four games on Thursday. I think I'm going to be more annoyed this week, though. As I said to open the podcast, we were recording on a Wednesday night. Normally we would be kind of on the eve of the Sweet 16 now, and uh, it's delayed two two more days. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I need the the Monday-Tuesday regional finals and then the quicker turnaround to the Final Four. I never minded having that whole week off until Final Four Saturday. So I'm going to be a little more frustrated over having to wait this time around. But I don't know about you and anything you had to take away from the schedule. Dude, honestly, they could have played one game every day for the next <laughs> two months, and I'd be like thrilled. And, you know, it was it was stripped from us last year, and again, I, I've said it many times. It was it's my Christmas. It's my favorite sporting event of the year. Uh, so, so no, any, no preference though, even like, nah, I mean, like even next year, are you gonna hope that it's back to normal or you? I won't guess so. Then? Just just for like I guess nostalgia tradition, like that's what it's always been. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm no longer a nine to five guy. So when I was in that world, uh, I think I preferred it to be that Thursday, Friday, cause I would just always take off and have a four day weekend. It was phenomenal. Right. Um, but being where I'm at now, look again, I, I don't care. You, you put it on a Wednesday, you put it on a Tuesday, I'm game, man. I, <laughs> I'm just excited to have it. So yeah, I think I'd prefer the Thursday, Friday just again, because it's always been, that's what it's always been. And, um, for that only reason, but Again, yeah, outside of I don't that. know. I, I just think that, and you know, from a from a social perspective, kind of uh, this is going to sound kind of selfish, but you know, like you always like to get together with some buddies and 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 try and watch these games. And uh, Monday, Tuesday regional final is not exactly uh, you know lining up with a lot of people's social schedules. But again, like I said, that is a very minute complaint, uh, and in the grand scheme of things, uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, you know, I will say, I suppose they had enough courts there too, where we never really, like, we still had the effect of a lot of games going on at the same time. Cause what they're using, um, what four courts there in Indianapolis. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. So that's normally enough to where you can have multiple games. That was the other thing I thought about when they said they were going to go to a bubble, like before they knew, and we, there's fans there, so maybe bubble's not the right term, but nonetheless, a neutral location or a centralized location, I suppose, because even before it's neutral stuff. But I, I, when they spread the tournament out over the whole country the first weekend, you always knew you were going to have that overlap, which I kind of like the the ping ponging, the remote controlling that goes on that first weekend, and and we still kind of had that too. Um, so I don't know. I guess I guess maybe it did feel pretty close to normal. It sounds like you, you felt like this was just any other tournament then. Yeah, I think so. I don't get into like the, you know, I mentioned the lack of crowds. There's some fans there, but not a lot. When I'm watching the game, though, as far as viewership, like I'm just locked into the game. And really? So the fans, fans never really were a factor it, for you? No, it never, honestly, it wasn't. I thought it would before, like when we first started this COVID business and God, there was even, talk about it coming especially back. Especially even on a college basketball pod where the environments are just, so crucial it feels like no I, I i get it it's just i don't know i mean 
I don't know really what it is. I guess I think one shining moment when we have that, it'll be a little awkward because you're not going to have <laughs> sure. have that like you know eruption of the crowds. Um, but overall, like I, I don't know. I mean, especially the first day, I usually go to the bar and watch it with a bunch of people, and you really can't hear it anyway. You have like your own, I guess, crowd around you in person. Um, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't affect me. The cameras on the game. I'm paying attention to the game. Um, you know, the fans, to me, are almost just an added bonus. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, to me, it felt like a pretty normal tournament. Yeah, I will outside, say. Well, I should say outside of, obviously, the VC Oregon game, which was yeah. uh, unfortunate. But I guess if you had to pick a time for it to happen, it being the first round, uh, it, you know, it, it obviously affected VCU. I, my heart goes out to those kids who missed the opportunity after uh, making the tournament. But, you know, God forbid this was to happen. Could could you imagine this happen in the Final Four? Oh God, what, yeah. What I, do I you know. do? You know, I thought about that, and, and you know, I definitely, uh, you know, similar impact, but obviously on a much lower scope. Uh, me working out here in Minnesota, I covered a ton of prep sports this winter, and there was a girls hockey team that just qualified for the state tournament who had the same thing happen, and uh, the. You know, they had to get pulled out from the state tournament, and it's the same kind of thing as far as the, you know, the athletes and their peak of their athletic careers for a lot of these kids, whether it be, you know, high school hockey for me covering that out here in Minnesota, or just the March March Madness. And so I definitely am with you there as far as the VCU uh, disappointment that I think you felt. And I actually want to get into that more from an Oregon perspective too. Um, and, and we'll get to that game because I would have liked to have seen that game played for Oregon's sake as well. I'll get more into that when we get into our picks. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, I definitely felt bad for uh, the VCU program and, and those kids. And yeah, Hey, I mean, I, I suppose on one hand um, it's better to try and do it this way than to not have it, you know, and obviously um, it, it feels like we're kind of getting closer to just having games be played at scheduled times, and I don't know, I don't know if you felt this way, but I just feel like all across the map in sports, you know, fingers crossed here, we're hearing about less, you know, COVID postponements, less, uh, you know, players being put on protocol lists, maybe that's just me, but it feels like we're getting a little better here just from a sport-wide perspective, college and pro, but still disappointing for VCU. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, for the most part, uh, all these leagues and stuff and all the leadership in, involved with them kind of have you know, their finger on the pulse with everything, and they, they have backup plans for things. And I just feel like they're a little bit ahead of the curve now, whereas you know, if they were trying to run through the season last year with everything being so unknown – it would have been a disaster, but the fact yeah, they right. had as so much, much as time. talked about how it sucked to not have the tournament, like mm-hmm. given when this was all kind of just starting, it undoubtedly was the right decision. Right, exactly. So, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the things we did see on the court, though. And obviously, Bill, we want to jump right in here because the biggest takeaway from the first weekend is all the teams that are not participating in the second weekend. Of course, those teams uh, having all been knocked out from the Big Ten, save for the Michigan Wolverines. They're the lone team left standing from the Big Ten. It is crazy to think about. You had a number one seed go down in Illinois, a number two seed go down in Ohio State, a number four seed go down in Purdue. Um, and, it, it you know, so 
it wasn't just the lower seeds, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Maryland dropping, you know. Uh, there were obviously some surprises for the Big Ten on the, those top seed lines, like I mentioned. And, and just from a narrative perspective, Bill, I know we're, we're kind of speaking the same language here, but it definitely frustrated me hearing a lot of people come out from the woodwork, it felt like, on Twitter and and just uh, kind of your more casual college basketball fan that, um, you know, maybe heard a thing or two about the Big Ten. And, and it's funny because the Big Ten seeming – and I think this kind of comes with the territory as well. Throughout this podcast, over the course of the regular season and the conference tournaments, we were talking about how, hey, you know, everybody's talking about the Big Ten and not as many people are talking about how good the Big 12 is. Well, the results for the Big 12 weren't very good either. And, you know, I believe we said that Baylor is the only team out of the Big 12 still standing into the second weekend. And certainly there's not as much outrage about the Big 12's disappointment. So I think that kind of comes with the territory. The Big Ten got a lot more praise, and now the Big Ten's getting a lot more criticism. But my stance here is going to be true on both fronts, but let's just keep it to the Big Ten for purposes of the narrative. I just don't think that losing in a one game, and this is something I have long felt, by the way, across the map in pro sports as well. When you have these one-game playoff situations, I can't stand when that completely rewrites the script as far as the seasons that any team or, or league may have had. You know, is, is Peyton Manning a bad quarterback because or an overrated quarterback because he lost a bunch of playoff games to Tom Brady? You know, that was something that kept coming up for him. And then, obviously, he got that last Super Bowl in Denver. But this is just something that I feel like across the map in sports, professional and college, you get judged on what you do in the playoffs. And to a degree, I can understand that. This is where the sport, whatever it may be, in this case, college basketball, takes center stage in March. And you need to produce, and there's no doubt that these Big Ten teams underperformed, but that's the nature of the tournament, and this is something that you and I, I'm sure, agree on, given how much we like this event, and the stone-cold reality is, literally stone-cold, you go cold from the field, or you have one bad night, or you let that underdog sneak up on you, and they're playing with house money, and it's a brand new ball game, and all of everything you accomplished in the regular season, unfortunately, kind of goes out the window, and I say everything you accomplished, because a lot of these programs, you know, Iowa, another high seed, by the way, out of the Big Ten that did not make the second weekend. Luca Garza, it doesn't take anything away from the career he had there in Iowa City. It doesn't take anything away from the job that Chris Holtman has done since he got to Iowa State, particularly the last couple of years, getting that program to where they are now, where they're a regular, you know, national contender, at least, on the top one, two seed line. Same thing with Brad Underwood of Illinois. You know, I believe this was only his third season at that program. And so getting them back to heights that they haven't been to since the D. Brown, Luther Head, Darren Williams days is still all like the regular season is the big body of work. And ironically enough, we still have the regular season champion in Michigan playing into the Sweet 16. But long story here, I'm on a diatribe, but this is all to say that I think a lot of the hate towards the Big Ten is misguided. You can underperform in one game, and that doesn't mean that your conference at large was overrated. It was a gauntlet this year for anybody that had to go through it. And, hey, in reality, you know, Illinois drew the most underseated team in the field in Loyola, Chicago, too. So I'm sure that didn't help their cause. Those are my thoughts on the Big Ten. I think the league is getting a little bit of a bad rap here, and I'll let you take it away from there. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you on this. I'm going to break it down 
team by team that was in the tournament. I want to try and get through it real quick. Michigan State, in my opinion, I don't think they're really a tournament team. They're playing the playing game against the UCLA team who, oh, by the way, the UCLA team is now in the Sweet 16. So as much as you want to rag on them for that, they still lost to a team that's currently in the Sweet 16. Move up, Maryland, a 10 seed, right? They knock off a 7 seed in UConn. So, I mean, I know we talked about a 5 seed difference as being a, an upset, but I mean, they're still uh, a 10 seed beating a 7, and then they lost to a number 2 seed in Bama, who was a very strong team. Rutgers, same kind of position as Maryland. They knock off the 7 seed at Clemson, and they have Houston, who they should have beaten. Yeah. Um, and to, in my opinion, as much as I love uh, Steve Peichel, I think it was uh, a mistake by him to really slow the game down towards the very end and, and try and bleed that clock as much as they could. Uh, when they were having so much success on getting the ball inside and trying to score um, through their sets. So there's the first three. Wisconsin absolutely dismantled North Carolina, and then they lost to, oh, in my opinion, the best team in the tournament right now, Baylor, as a one seed. So, I mean, you can't knock them for that. Look, at Ohio State losing to Will Roberts, pretty outrageous. I agree. But, you know, if you really want to break it down and you look at that Ohio State team, they play, like, literally no defense ever all throughout the season. Like, they just outscore other teams. And when you have a team like that, that, that you know, it's just trying to score as many points as they can. They don't well, really care if you, if you hang anything on them. I imagine you're getting to Iowa in a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, and you lose Kyle Young. It's, it's, a huge, right. it's a huge loss for them. So not saying that there's any excuse. They still should have beaten Oral Roberts. But, I mean, let's be real. They lost Kyle Young, and, and they lost the game. Happens. Uh, I think the only one that really surprised me was the Purdue-North Texas game. Um, I really didn't expect Purdue. I had them uh, at least making the Sweet 16. I think they had a potential to actually get to the Final Four within their region. Um, so that's the one thing that kind of threw me off. But, hey, you know, they're upsets every year. Purdue just happened to be on that side of it. You mentioned uh, Illinois uh, getting to face the most under Loyola team um, with tons of experience. I think Ken Palm has them ranked ninth in the country. So when you look at it from that standpoint, I mean, it's not that crazy that they, they took the loss to Loyola. Um, and Bill, speak- real quick on Loyola, and we'll get into this more when we get picked them, but I thought this too over the weekend. Like, if we made a bracket of every eight seed in the history of the tournament, like, <laughs> I know you're a Nova guy, and I know they won the title in 85 yeah. and in 80. But, like, this Loyola mm-hmm. team's, like, a number one seed in that bracket of eight seeds, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. Um, and then we're talking about, you know, being underseeded. I thought Oregon was extremely underseeded as well. Um, and, and they're the team that ended up knocking off Iowa. Uh, but Oregon, if you really look at that team, they really weren't at full strength until the very latter part of the season. And when they were at full strength, they were pretty dominant. Their only real loss was the Oregon State, who, oh, another Sweet 16 team who's arguably one of the hottest teams in the tournament. And, then again, Michigan is the only team alive, which I think is so funny because there's so many people out there. Well, that, how many people that, wanted to just pencil LSU into the Sweet 16? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Michigan was the one seed that was going to get knocked out first. Illinois was arguably the probably the most popular one seed uh, pick to make it to the, to the national championship game outside of Baylor and Gonzaga. So, I mean, it, it's – it happens, right? Like, and you, like you said it best, I think. You can't judge this conference by one game in this tournament. Should they have played better and had a couple more wins? Well, yeah, and especially when, like you said, Bill, when you actually go through it, Ohio State and Purdue are really the only two losses where you right. say, oh, they definitely should have won. Yeah, right. Iowa's favored. Yeah, Illinois was favored in their losses. 
but not games that we thought were layups for them. No, exactly. And it's and we say this all the time. When it comes to the tournament, it's all about matchups. It's not about you're a two seed versus a ten seed or whatever it may be. If you don't match up well against the team that you're going to play, throw those seed numbers out the door. They mean right. nothing. Um, and, and you see that with a lot of those upsets. You know, we talked about in a previous pod about you know those those double digit seeds that have teams that can really shoot the ball from deep. Uh, and play a quicker pace, right. they seem to have an advantage. Especially and, and against these teams that. like Iowa and Ohio State that we say don't right. defend as well. Right. The only thing that I will say, though, and I think I mentioned this before in one of the previous pods, I used to say this all the time about the old Big East, how they would absolutely beat the shit out of each other in the season, and they would get officiated much differently come the tournament. I think in the Big East, they used to let people play a little bit more. They'd hold the whistle, they'd swallow the whistle a bit. Come the tournament, all of a sudden, guys are getting in foul trouble. I'm not saying that happened with the Big Ten, but I will say, like, hey, you know, they were battle-tested, yes, but they were also beaten up pretty well. Sure. Uh, throughout. And the other thing is like you get used to that style. Yeah, and you get used to that style, right? Like you get used to that, like, it's almost like I want to go back to the analogy of Big Ten football, like that kind of smash-mouth type of stuff where it's right. physical and all. And all of a sudden you run into these teams that you're not playing physical, they're playing finesse, they're playing speed, and they're, playing they're fast, shooting yeah. the ball from deep. Yeah, I mean, but again, I, I think I run through all these matchups and – to me, nothing surprised me except, like you said, the Oral Roberts thing surprised me. The North Texas win over Purdue surprised me. Outside of that, there's there's really nothing that surprised me as far as these Big Ten losses. So I don't think any of these teams can should hang their head maybe outside of Ohio State and Purdue. The rest of them, yeah, they probably didn't live up to their expectations, but you know they didn't lose to you know some mid major team that nobody's ever heard of that's not in the Sweet Sixteen. So right, it is what it is. At the end is. of the day, you're probably going to have at least one semi-difficult game in the first weekend. That's just kind of the reality right. of this tournament. Um, and, you know, even if you're a number one seed, like Illinois, not every eight seed is Loyola Chicago, but normally there is somebody on that 8-9 line that we look at and say, oh, they could be kind of dangerous. And uh, it, it just happened to be Loyola this year. Let's go from a disappointing league that maybe we're not as surprised as the rest of the country is to – uh, an overachieving league that certainly surprised me. I don't know about you, Bill. The Pac-12, the Conference of Champions. Bill Walton probably still taking victory laps, <laughs> even though the tournament is far from over. Did you see his Final Four? Uh, yeah, he, got, he had five teams in there. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. National treasure. Uh, he's got four uh, of his teams from the Conference of Champions still going. Granted, Two of them will face off in one of the regional semifinals, those being Oregon and USC. And, of course, we still have UCLA and Oregon State as well through to the second weekend as double-digit seeds. Bill, I imagine Oregon State probably the most surprising team here. I know we've talked at various times throughout the year about how UCLA had all its kids back, Johnny Juzang coming in as a Kentucky transfer, um, you know, and you know, Hawk has another sophomore that gets plenty of burn um, second year for Cronin, we were kind of thinking that they could be pretty good, and and it looks like they're finding finally finding their stride. Better late than never there. And then of course Oregon and USC were two of the better teams all season long in the Pac-12. Obviously, still had to pull upset. Well, actually, USC was a short favorite against Kansas, but nonetheless, um, you know, an upset that didn't surprise a ton of people. And Oregon getting through uh, USC or excuse me UCLA, obviously benefiting from the Texas loss and getting to play Abilene Christian in the second round. But the Bruins still took care of business. I, I think, for me, undoubtedly, Oregon State keeping the freight train rolling after winning the Pac-12 tournament. 
surprised me because I actually I looked at Oregon State much in the same vein as I did Georgetown. Ironically enough, Georgetown was playing another Pac-12 team in Colorado, and then Colorado was bounced by Florida State. But I kind of felt Oregon State and Georgetown kind of the same as far as how I would handicap them into this field in the sense that, all right, you got a couple of bid stealers that are probably a little happy to be here. Uh, now the rubber kind of meets the road when you're facing um, NCAA caliber teams on a regular basis. That's certainly what happened with Georgetown against Colorado. But, hey, Rick Barnes in March, and he finds a way to choke again against <laughs> Oregon State. And then, uh, you know, and then an equally as surprising choke, in my opinion, by Oklahoma State against Oregon State. You agree Oregon State clearly the biggest surprise here of the Pac-12 team still standing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, again, you mentioned it. UCLA, we were pretty high on them coming into this season. Um, so the fact they made a run doesn't really shock me at all. Uh, USC, in my mind, has been the like dark horse team for me that I think has a really sure. good shot. You know, I think there's only two teams right now in, in the tournament that are going to be able to beat Gonzaga, and USC is one of them. Yeah. They're the one coming from the other side of the bracket, and hopefully we get that matchup that we got stolen from us earlier this year with Baylor. Um, so obviously USC didn't shock me. That was actually my biggest play of the tournament was the USC Kansas game when I saw. Yeah, I had a big play there too. Yeah, when I saw the brackets come out, I'm like, oh, my God, please, please let USC match up against Kansas. Because if it's anything inside of five, I said I was going to slam it. And, you know, it was only, I think, off at one. I got it on money line at minus 115, and I did. And it was, you know, pretty much from start to finish, they just handled them uh, throughout the entire game. And then uh, when you're talking about, you know, Colorado – yeah, they took a loss to Florida State, who's a good, a good program, a possible Final Four team. So no shame in them there. But yeah, I'd have to agree. The Oregon State team, you know, kind of like you said, like I, I think, I think I, I don't know if I took Tennessee. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, I definitely had Tennessee advance and pass Oregon State because of what you said. You kind of just expected them to come in. You know, all right, we, we achieved our goal. We got happy. into the dance. Yeah. That's what it is. And. You know, but no, you know, and that's a credit to, to Coach Tinko out there who, who's got these guys firing all cylinders. And when you look at the second half of their schedule, what they've done has been absolutely ridiculous. I think they lost to Oregon and to, I think I forget the other loss they've had, um, but they've rattled off so many wins. And yeah, people want to sit there and say the Pac-12 was underrated. And, and I suppose they would have avenged that Oregon loss. They beat them in the Pac-12 tournament, correct? Right, correct, correct. So, and they want to say, oh, the Pac-12 is disrespected, blah, blah, blah. You know, let's be real. We're talking about, look, kudos to them. They have four teams in the Sweet 16. They had a fifth team that got knocked out in the second round. But that's it. I mean, from top to bottom, if you're on top to bottom as far as conferences, and you look at the bottom part of that Pac-12, that is a weak bottom part of their of their conference. So, you know, again, kudos to those teams that have made it. I have a ton of respect for them. Like I said, USC is my dark horse. Um but people want to try and sit there and say, oh, well, look, the Pac-12 proved themselves more than the Big Ten. Stop it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's kind of the thing. I mean, those two conferences in particular were the big stories, just how well the Pac-12 performed and how disappointing the Big Ten was. But, again, point being here, in either direction, whether the teams are winning a lot or whether we have uh, underachievers like the Big Ten, uh, I don't want to jump to conclusions about the uh, a one-game elimination setting the way we have in this league. I mean, Bill, I think the very definition of why you can't get ahead of yourself when it comes to these grand conclusions on teams and judging them off March is just look at 
and they're not the def- they won't be the defending national champion in a couple of weeks. But look at Virginia, okay, losing as the first ever number one seed to a number sixteen seed, and what do they do the year after? Just about everybody's back, and they come in and they win the national championship. How many people were you know talking all a bunch of shit about Virginia because? You know, obviously, Virginia was never the glamorous, you know, most glamorous number one seed in the first place. So I think they opened themselves up to just being the butt of a lot of jokes after that UMBC loss anyway. And it was just a revenge tour the following year. I mean, if any of these Big Ten teams, and again, maybe not Iowa because you can't just, Luca Garza's don't grow on trees. But if any of these other Big Ten teams come back and are in the Final Four or win a national championship, are we really going to be surprised? No, absolutely not. Lastly, let's just talk about some of the other surprising results from the first weekend. Obviously, we'll get into them as we get into the games, uh, but the Syracuse Orange are into another Sweet 16. Gosh, Bill, I don't know. I mean, I I don't like them at all, but this is another run here from Bayheim as a double-digit seed. Um, Something tells me, I, I just think when you take the pressure off some of these coaches, and this is why... I would have been intrigued by Michigan State had they gotten through past UCLA. Take the pressure off, and, and it feels like at least Bayheim has been performing pretty well. Yeah, I'm not giving them credit, though. I want to give credit. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, maybe there, was, maybe there was Sun who's been shooting the lights out. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to that zone. You know, these teams just don't prepare. They can't prepare for the zone right. because – they prepare for, for man defense pretty much the entire season. And then all of a sudden they get in here and they, they see this zone. And it's like they for, literally it looks like they forget how to play basketball, in my opinion. Uh, again, coming yeah. from, a, oh, from a former player, you former coach. Kind of shrivel up. Yeah, the, 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 the zone, in my opinion, is one of the easiest defenses to break down. You know, there's two, in my opinion, there's two core principles. You either get the ball to the high post where you get the ball to the baseline. You get the ball to the baseline, sure. that zone turns around, all of a sudden they can't see the other four guys on the floor, you cut behind it, you should have layup after layup after layup. Uh, but these teams all seem to just want to stand around the perimeter, shoot the ball from real deep, yeah, and Syracuse three, just yeah. sits there and laughs. So, like, go ahead. You guys shoot what on the season? You know, maybe 30% from three, but now we're going to extend you out another two feet where you're probably shooting closer to 23, 24%. Go ahead, have at it. We'll get, right. you know, maybe you'll hit us on the offensive glass, but we're going to come down the other end and we're going to score the, we're going to score not at will, but I mean, they do a really good job offensively. So I think that's really what it comes down to with that program. It's like these teams just don't know how to beat the zone. It's, it's, infuriating to me because I just don't understand it. I don't know how you're at a D1 level and you, you don't understand what the principles are in order to beat the zone. But, hey, hats off to Syracuse. They're making a nice run. I'll be rooting. I'll be the largest Syracuse cheerleader this weekend. I have to have them as my survivor pick in my pool. I have no other choice or else I'll be out of uh, teams to pick. So uh, I'll be back in the orange uh, money line in that wow. one. So hopefully I can What kind advance. of pool is that where all you have is the orange left? Well, no. So I would have – I have other options. But you have to pick a team every day uh, that there's games played. And if oh, I – That day. Yeah, if, I, yeah, if, I were, if I was to take, say, Loyola um, – and I'm blanking right now who they're matched up with. Oregon uh, State. Yeah. So if I pick one of those teams and I do win in advance, but Syracuse loses, I had already used uh, – I've already used the team that they're playing. I'm blanking on them, too. It's been that kind of Houston. day. Houston. Yeah, I've already used Houston in the first round, so I would not have a pick come the next day when those teams are playing, and I'd be eliminated that way. So, 
it's tough. There's a lot of strategy involved in it, and I unfortunately just went the road of I want to survive and advance the first weekend <laughs> instead of really planning on a path for myself. But if I can get there, I still have Gonzaga. I still have Baylor, so I'm, I'll be in pretty good shape past that. But this weekend I think is going to be the biggest sweat for me. You know, I, I don't want to say surprise is the right word here, but I did expect the top two SEC teams to maybe – and granted – Obviously, it was a really close game between Arkansas and Texas Tech, but I thought one of them was going to lose this weekend just on the fact that you got a couple coaches that haven't been at those schools for that long in Nate Oates and Eric Musselman, a lot of players that haven't played in the SEC tur- or in the ACC tournament, or no, they, what am I saying? <laughs> the NCAA tournament uh, for that long, uh, or really at all. And, you know, in reality, the SEC without Kentucky. Uh, being as good as it was in normal years. And, you know, with we look at what the rest of the league did. I mean, we saw Tennessee lose. We saw, you know, Oral Roberts upset Florida as well. Uh, Missouri lost its first game to Oklahoma. Like, I really wasn't impressed. So I'm not – this one, as far as a conference results, I'm not that shocked by, like, as far as the rest of the teams not doing that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did think – that one of these two was going to slip up just on the fact that, like I said, there just wasn't a lot of experience as far as tournament and deep runs. I know Musselman made the run at, at Nevada, and Oates obviously had gotten Buffalo to the tournament, but uh, kind of new ground for these programs. Uh, so to see them both get through to the second weekend surprised me a little bit. I don't know if anything else really stood out for you. Yeah, here, I'll give you the one other thing that really stood out for me, and it was painful because I really liked them to make a run to the Final Four. Uh, and instead, I got a feeling their coach is going to be uh, headed out the door shortly. And and that's Oklahoma Texas. State. No, Texas. Uh, I mean, Texas. I, okay. I that loss to Abilene Christian was painful to watch. I don't understand. Maybe I missed something. Did Greg Brown commit a felony, or did he, you know, break a body? Why was he not playing? I, I don't understand it at all. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I had a. Right. I did notice that he wasn't in the box score. It's yeah. It's it's so so strange to me. And you know, for a team that that made that run in their conference tournament to come out and, I mean, they looked like a JV high school team trying to run an offense. It was it was brutal. I know. Hats off to Abilene Christian. You know, there's a reason why they're number one in the country in creating turnovers. They caused 23 of them on Texas, and that literally makes the game almost impossible to win. So, again, hats off to those guys. But, my God, Texas, I don't understand. I don't understand how they can't put up more than, I don't know, what they have, like 40-some points or something like that. Like It was absolutely atrocious. And I, I want to give a quick shout-out to my guy, former Michigan player, Stu Douglas. He he did a quick article for me on my website, um, and I had posed some questions to him, and one of them being, who did he feel as though was the most overrated team and likely out in the first round of the tournament? And instead of giving me a team, man, he gave me an entire conference. He said the whole Big 12 is overrated, and he sees most of those teams being out. And, my God, he was pretty spot on with that, the fact that only Baylor remains. And, you know, again, they're, they're a top seed. So I want to just give him a quick shout-out for – his analysis on that, uh, check him out on Twitter, too. Stu's a good guy. He's starting to do some handicapping. He also still plays uh, professionally, I believe, out in Israel. So good guy to check out on Twitter. But, yeah, outside of that, uh, nothing else really surprised me. It was a typical tournament, and, it's again, it's been a lot of fun so far. Speaking of, by the way, speaking of the Big 12, I wonder how much, if at all, if uh, 
Bayheim and Huggy Bear after that game in the round of 32 or reminiscent about the old Big East. How, how much do you think guys like that miss the old Big East versus coaching in the ACC and the Big 12? I think they have to, right? Like, right. I mean, that was like the golden age of conference basketball, I felt like. No doubt. No. I don't think anything else can. Did you ever make can, that uh, trip up the Jersey Transit and go to uh, the Madison Square Garden for the Big East I, tournament? I did, and it's funny you mentioned it. It was Huggy Bear. I was there for. My God, I want to blank on who was who was still on the squad back then. But uh, okay. Sean Butler, game winner. No, no, it was definitely not that one. But um, okay, the game it was the, it was the first it was the opening round, and um, we're me and my buddy there watching it, and uh, all of a sudden we see Huggy Bear come walking over, and I go to him, Yo, is he wearing like swishy warm up pants right now? <laughs> he's like, I think so, and he's got his credential, and he's got his credential tied to like his. I guess, like, his drawstring, and it's, like, hanging down, but, like, he had a third leg, but it's really his credential, and I'm like, I, what What do you think happened? Like, how does he not have suit pants? Come to find out later uh, that he, he forgot the pact on these set, so he had to just wear, like, you know, like, warm-up mesh short, or sweatpants uh, to the game. I'm like, that's typical out of Huggy Bear, right? Like, what else would you that expect from that? That whole thing started? What's that, the pants? Yeah. It may have, I don't know, but I was I was absolutely dying uh, during it. But yeah, you said it's it's such a cool environment. I mean, the garden is the garden, um, and to have like arguably the the most exciting conference uh, having their tournament there was was a blast to have. I think the only thing that would ever top it is if somehow we were able to get. And I think we talked about this last year. If this was a possibility to run the tournament through uh, through the Palestra, that would have been. Oh, Pretty yeah. amazing to have have that, that kind really of thing special going. for us as Philly guys, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I never got there for the old Big East tournament. Just I was always in school, and the league folded, uh, or well, re uh, what's the word? Um, realigned. Uh, I don't know. Realigned. That's it. Yeah, after uh, my senior year of high school, I uh, graduated from East and Terry Hill in 2013, and I want to say 13, 14 was the first year of that Catholic seven. Uh, which is what they were calling it at the time. So never made that trip. But, yeah, I, I, that ran through my mind, a little old Big East matchup there with uh, Syracuse and West Virginia in the round of 32. But let's move on and go to the Sweet 16 now. We're going to run through all eight regional semifinals. We have picks in six of the eight, including a couple of consensus plays. Um, but first, let's start with a game where we don't have anything in, and that is the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. A six and a half point favorite against the Oregon State Beavers, a total of one twenty five and a half. Bill, I'll just be brief here. I had a hard time getting to either side here, just because, like I said, of how we kind of hinted at this, and I kind of talked about what I was feeling about Oregon State, and I was, you know, thinking that it was just happy to be here, stole a bid, coming back down to earth, facing Tennessee, uh, and then even facing Oklahoma State. Um, because, by the way, did you see that beat in the Oklahoma State-Liberty game? We were, I was all in Liberty, so that was yeah. – did you see how that ended? Yeah, yeah, I was on Liberty as well. Yeah, that was a tough scene there. But anyway, um, Oregon State, okay, even after they beat Tennessee, it was like, okay, well, Rick Barnes in March, whatever, you know, now mm. don't lose to Oklahoma State. And, and then they won that one, and I was just like, you know what? I have, and I and I did not bet Tennessee or Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, I hadn't had a play on those games, but I definitely leaned to the chalk in both games, and so I just don't have much of a feel whatsoever for Oregon State right now. Um, and at the same time, Loyola Chicago. I mean, I could easily see them winning this game by like twenty. You know, because yeah. I think 
I think they're that good. So I just think there's enough variance here where I had to stay away. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I lean pretty heavily, however, to, towards Loyola. I mentioned sure. it before the, the experience they have, um, and I mean, it's just it's just scary to think though that they knocked off Illinois. They're only given six and a half to an Oregon State team, who is what the 12th seed. Um, that seems a little fishy to me, but at the end of the day, again, this Loyola Chicago team just full of experience. You know, Cruckwig or whatever his name is, that dude. Yeah, you talk about basketball IQ, man. That dude is like the Mensa of basketball IQ. What he did to Kofi and being able to be oh, – he's undersized for the, probably the first time all season, and he just made Kofi look like – I mean, I don't even know how to explain. He made him look normal, I should say, really, right? Because Kofi's been a monster yeah. all year. Um, and, you know, I just feel like this Loyola team is – just as good as the team that made that final four run. So I'm not going to be surprised if I see them there. I think I saw on one site that they were like third, maybe fourth uh, in terms of uh, price to win the national title, which is pretty wild to think of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm with you. I would definitely lean to the Ramblers. Um, and, and it's hard to argue with that, you know, even that price because, Let's just say, Bill, if we move the favorites through in each of the games in this region, this is the Midwest region, with Loyola Chicago advancing and Houston, uh, unfortunately, to your chagrin, advancing past Cuse, what do we think that line comes? Like, pick against Houston? Yeah, I would – yeah, probably. It'd probably be right around that. So, right. So, you know, when you look at it that way, you know, you got him here. You know, you you have – if you just start doing the math – you, know, you got him here on the money line as a, almost a three dollar favorite, minus two seventy five on the money line, and then you're looking at like a minus one ten, minus one fifteen, minus one hundred five, maybe even money money line against Houston, and then the math does start to kind of add up where you mm-hmm. really only have them as you know three to one type of or longer underdogs on the money line come the re- the national semifinal. So right. um, I guess when you look at it that way, it does kind of make sense, but still nonetheless pretty crazy to think about let's move on and go to the second game on the schedule on Saturday and uh, that features the Baylor Bears and the Villanova Wildcats uh, as they square off in that top right bracket in the regional semifinal uh, in I believe this is the south region and um, yes it is Uh, you were seeing Baylor in being installed as a seven point favorite total of 141 and a half and I got a lot like Baylor here, I actually like him a lot. Um, you know, but, yeah. I'm sorry. I admit, well, were you leaning the other side or just a Nova guy there? No, I, a little bit of both. Okay. Well, here's what I'm seeing. I think Baylor is back to the way it was playing before its COVID pause, and that is big time trouble for Villanova. When you look at Baylor winning both its games by considerable margins in the first weekend. And again, I know that they were a big favorite and actually didn't cover the spread in that 116 game. Uh, but anytime I see a team, uh, I don't care your seed. Anytime you win by the margin Baylor got in that first game, nothing comes easy in the tournament. So that tells me something. And then obviously the way that they were able to distance themselves, really they came out, they weren't messing around at all. I think they had a double digit lead at halftime against Wisconsin. Um, and, you know, obviously it was a Wisconsin team that was coming off of a good performance against North Carolina. So I think Baylor is completely back, uh, and I think this price is therefore short. Uh, Baylor, like I said, looking like 
the pre-COVID Baylor Bears, a team that obviously had a ton of guys coming back from last year. All this whole group of transfers that are now juniors and seniors, uh, kind of meshing and gelling together. And then Villanova, by the way, Bill, I looked more into this because I was just kind of getting a feel for the experience on each of these rosters uh, throughout the Sweet 16. Uh, Villanova is a younger team than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that probably hurts them here, especially I think this probably is where they feel no Colin Gillespie a little more. Uh, you know, Robinson Earl, only a sophomore. And, you know, I know, um, you know, uh, Moore is back. Uh, but... Uh, Remember also also the path here, and you know I say this being that I was on Winthrop, but the path here <laughs> was pretty easy for Villanova to get to the Sweet 16, going through a pair of double-digit mid-majors in Winthrop and North Texas. I think the experience is a big plus here for Baylor. Villanova, listen, hat tip to Jay for getting to another second weekend. And honestly, Bill, like the sense I'm getting with Villanova even though it was just two years apart, that 18 team that won the title was a lot different than that 16 team. And my sense is you bring a lot of these kids back next year. Obviously Gillespie won't be back next year, but a lot of the guys that are going to be playing against Baylor, bring a lot of them back next year. And it'll be, you know, another kind of different look that they'll be throwing at you, but they'll probably go into next year right in the mix for the national championship, but not today. I like Baylor. I like Baylor a good deal. It's a match play for me. I think the bears win by double digits. Uh, sick him. All right, all right. And Colin could come back now, right? Doesn't everybody get another year of eligibility, technically? Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look at that. I don't know. I mean, he's definitely not going – he's, not, he's right. definitely not a draft pick. Yeah. I mean, maybe if he wants to go overseas and, and, and play somewhere over there, but uh, it would be pretty pretty cool to see him come back. And I think the only person they'd really lose would be uh, Robinson Earl, and that, and that would be impressive to bring the rest of those guys back. But um, – yeah, I, I, I want to jump on Nova and, and tell you you're wrong, and I can't do it. You know, I was I was messing with you in the beginning there. Um, sure. I, I was happy to see Justin Moore take his place, like I'd been saying prior to his injury, that, you know, when Gillespie went down, Justin Moore's going to step up. Nobody knows how good this kid is. only sophomore, by the way. I wanted to... Like, yeah, I, but he's gone. He he, he oh. wanted to leave after freshman year, yeah. which I thought I was crazy. It. Yeah. But, yeah, he'll be he'll he'll definitely be entering he'll the draft. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um. I think it's really interesting with this game where I'm looking at the number of tickets. Almost 80% of the public is back and going over here. That is just absolutely insane well, to me. That makes me feel good. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And a ton of the money's on Baylor. We saw it ticked only up a half a point. But, yeah, I, I tend to believe you with this one. Um, the one thing that I looked at on Kempom that normally would be an indicator that I would like Nova here is the fact that Villanova is number one in the country in turning the ball over. They, they only turn the ball over 13 times a game. Um, Baylor, on the other hand, is number three in causing turnovers. They cause almost 25 turnovers a game. Uh, and the fact that you don't have Gillespie really changes. I love Justin Moore. I'll say it all the time, how good of a player he is. Um, but when when you have a team that's number three in the country and forcing turnovers, it's going to be a problem when you're missing your true uh, point guard. So I think Baylor's going to turn them, turn them over a decent amount. And like you had said, uh, it's kind of fool's goal with Villanova here. They they knocked off Winthrop, who was the trendy pick to to have an upset, and then they got the the lucky draw with North Texas. I think you're talking a, a different team playing against Baylor here if Purdue had made it out of that first round. So I, I lean Baylor. Not not a play for me just yet. I'm still curious to see what happens with the line. Um, but yeah, I think Baylor gets the job done in this one. Let's move on and go to the third game of the day on Saturday. That being between the Oral Roberts Eagles. 
and the Arkansas Razorbacks. Winner of the Villanova-Baylor game getting the winner here. Uh, we're seeing, obviously, Arkansas being installed as a hefty favorite. The Razorbacks are laying 11. Total in this game of 159, so a pretty high total there. It makes me think if you like Arkansas, you don't want to hesitate to lay the lumber. I had to stay away here as well, Bill. I just uh, kind of for the reasons I already hinted at, I, I'm still not at the point when um, – and maybe the the pressure kind of goes away of the the jitters of playing in the tournament, right? And, and Arkansas is just kind of going to keep rolling here. And, and it was good to see them come through in a close game there in the face of some adversity against Texas Tech uh, because it, it did feel like a lot of their wins in the regular season, even when they beat Bama, were by double digits. Again, I didn't research this because I don't have a play on the game. Um, but it did feel like, you know, and they were obviously had a close loss against LSU in the semifinal of the SEC tournament. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, you could look at it and make the case that, you know, they got their close win, their guys are going to lighten up, and, and they're going to roll here. And also, um, you know, the other reason here, I don't have a play. I, I, if you stuck a gun in my head and said pick a side, I'd probably lean Arkansas, only because I do think more often than not, the regional weekend has kind of been where the clock strikes midnight for Cinderella. Right. We've seen that, you know, with another Big Five team going back to 2013, LaSalle, uh, after the Southwest Philly floater, they lose by, I believe, double digits against Wichita State. Same thing for uh, Florida Gulf Coast after they pulled that upset against Georgetown. Uh, Davidson going back further as a double-digit seed, lost in the regional final with uh, to Kansas with the Steph Curry run. So it just feels like more often than not, yeah, you get a VCU you get a George Mason. I don't even want to include Butler because they were a single-digit seed both times. In one year, they were actually a five-seed the year they had Gordon Hayward. So mm-hmm. it feels like more often than not with these double-digit seeds, like I said, it's it's one of – I mean, how many tournaments are we like, oh, you know, they, that was a nice run. And, and you know, they were yeah. one of the big stories for the tournament. But they don't actually – Loyola Chicago most recently got all the way to the Final Four. But remember, that bracket went all haywire because uh, you had Kansas State beating Oklahoma – or Kansas State was the nine and – the regional final was 9 versus 11, and Kansas State yeah. beat Kentucky in that semifinal. I can't even remember who the one seed was now. That, or that, that would have been the Virginia year that Virginia was in that bracket right. and had lost. Right, so the whole bracket kind of got drunk. Um, and, and so I, 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 I tend to think that, like I said, Oral Robert and these two teams, by the way, played in the regular season, and Kansas, or excuse me, Arkansas only won by, I think, 10 or 11. So another reason that's kind of hes- making me hesitate to uh, back away from this. Like I said, a lot of people, I'm sure, are probably going to be rooting for Oral Roberts, but I think the clock probably strikes midnight here. I'd slightest of lean to Arkansas, but I'll have no play. Yeah, uh, I agree with you in that. I think this is where it comes to an end for Oral Roberts. Easy easy to say when it's 11-point spread, but uh, look, at this Arkansas team, I, I feel like they, everybody keeps doubting them. I was seeing... Uh, right. Some folks, some guys in the media that were posting, uh, you know, if you were to re-see the tournament with these 16 teams, here's how I would see them. And I kept seeing Arkansas, like, in the lower half of that tier. And I'm like, I don't I don't know what people are watching here, but this team's no joke. Like, they have a legitimate chance uh, in this. And, look, you mentioned they've played each other before all the way back December 16th, very beginning part of the season. These are different teams now. Arkansas uh, does a really good job of, of getting on the offensive glass, uh, and this Oral Roberts team is 332nd in the country as far as keeping them off of it. That's going to be a big problem. 
the other problem they're going to have is the fact that Arkansas is number 10 in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. Or Roberts, they do shoot the ball pretty well from deep. Uh, they shoot actually almost 40% good enough for 14th in the country. Um, so if they're going to want to stay in this game, they're going to be having to shoot the ball from deep and, and shoot it really, really well. Um, I don't see it happening. I think Arkansas wins this one pretty handily. I don't have a play on it just yet, um, but I just honestly, I, I don't I don't see Oral Roberts really making this one a game. And I think you said the slippers are going to come off come midnight of, the, uh, of this game. So I'm not backing the hogs, but I definitely believe that they will get the job done to get the win. Bill, same question. If we move the high seeds through, what do you think that line comes regional final? Baylor maybe a five point favorite against Arkansas? Uh yeah, I think so, judging by what the books have been doing now. Um and if that's the case, I'd probably end up back in I would like Arkansas if I'm getting two possessions. Yeah, yeah. It's kinda where I was going too with that, just as far as the hogs getting a little disrespect if that kind of shows itself in that regional final line I could see myself on Musselman and the boys as well uh let's wrap up the Saturday games uh down in uh we're going to go back to the Midwest region as the winner of Syracuse and Houston will get the winner of Oregon State and Loyola Chicago Syracuse a six point underdog a total of 140 uh, and I'm going to be back in the orange here, and I know you'll be rooting for this play, um, but I like them here getting the six. As much as I hate to say it, obviously, not a Bayheim guy, uh, but I definitely think that the matchup kind of plays to the orange's advantage here. When you think about uh, Marcus Sasser and Quentin Grimes, the outside shooting guards for the Cougars, if the shots aren't falling, this could be trouble for Houston. And by the way, Marcus Sasser has been pretty cold lately, one for nine from the field against Rutgers so now you're talking about a Syracuse team that like you talked about like this almost plays right to Cuse's advantage where they're probably going to go in with a similar game plan with that matchup zone and say all right Cougars go ahead fire away from the three-point line and we'll uh, live and die by it and honestly if the recent results for Houston stay true as far as you know particularly Sasser then I like I have to think Syracuse is going to be in this game uh, you talked about it, and I completely agree with you. I think it was definitely Rutgers choking down the stretch and not Houston winning it, which is another thing. Watching that game unfold on, what was that, Sunday night, I had to think that uh, you know I was going to find myself back on uh, the, the orange here. Uh, so I definitely think that you know Houston a little fortunate to be in the second weekend altogether. Uh, and then going to the offensive side of things for Syracuse, as you said, Buddy Bayheim has been unconscious from the field, um, and they had three other scorers in double figures against West Virginia. And, oh, by the way, uh, they kept the Mountaineers in the low 70s. West Virginia 11th in the nation in offensive efficiency this year. Game before that, Syracuse against San Diego State scored 78 uh, against an Aztec team that's 18th in the nation in defensive efficiency. So I think Cuse is playing pretty well here, and I think they're a live dog here. I'll take the orange, get in the six. Man, I am absolutely – I mentioned I'm, I'm on them for my uh, survivor pick. I, don't, I didn't really have another choice, but uh, 
I am absolutely terrified of this matchup. Um, look, they did a really, really nice job against West Virginia, which is kind of encouraging to me because of the fact that West Virginia is a top 10 offensive rebounding team in the country. Uh, but when you look at the matchup here with Houston, Houston's number two in the country. They're only behind North Carolina. We saw what North Carolina did against the zone, uh, missing the shots, but still getting the offensive rebounds and the putbacks. So I think Houston has a really big advantage there. Uh, and the other thing is this Houston defense, number 11 in defensive, or just defensive efficiency, uh, number one as far as effective field goal percentage. I, that really, really scares me. They're, they're 12th in the country as far as defending the three, where obviously we've we seen Syracuse really like to fall in love with, with shooting the ball from deep. So th- that all lines up for a, a terrifying matchup. Uh, when, especially when we're talking about a survivor pick, and you said Quentin Grimes, Quentin Grimes really struggled in that in that Rutgers game. Um, but let's be real, like he's he's, he's a good Grimes player. Grimes was faster. Any one of them struggled. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to pull up their. It doesn't have their stats on here. Um, I thought I saw it was Grimes, but either way, maybe it was Sasser. But I, either way, both of these guys are are really strong players. Yeah, I don't Sasser. expect Grimes them. ended up having 22 points on okay. 15 shooting, five of nine from three. I just don't expect Sasser then to, to have another game like he had previously. Sure. Um, and, you know, when I look at the thing, how you say, like, oh, well, you know, they were lucky to get past Rutgers, which is 100% true. Rutgers beat themselves in that game. But I feel like sometimes when that does happen, especially in the tournament, it's like, it's okay, wake up call. let's yeah. wake up here. Yeah, and look, yeah. this is a Rutgers team who, who was a 10 seed. And you got now, a whole week in between now instead of just 24, 48 hours. Right, which to me, I think that plays a big role in the Syracuse zone. Like when you're in their second matchup, you know, against West Virginia, they didn't have that much time to really prepare for the right. zone. They weren't going to just prepare for the zone, hoping they would face Syracuse. Um, so I think the fact that Houston gets a little more time to prepare, it, it really makes me nervous. Again, I, I'm back in Syracuse because I have them from a survivor. I'm not going to have a play on the game. I hope they win. Uh, but if not, if they lose, I got a feeling that Houston's going to be covering the spread. Well, I hope you're wrong, and I suppose you're hoping Syracuse wins outright. There you go, and I don't have to sweat it. That would be nice as well. Let's go to the uh, Sunday games where we go from one ACC team to another. Ironically, also in this Sunday game, we have the ACC team as an underdog. Shorter dog, though, as the Florida State Seminoles are catching two and a half here a, uh, against the Michigan Wolverines. A total of 143.5. Uh, and we're both going to be on Florida State. This is our first of two consensus plays on the pod. Um, Bill, I'll be honest. This is my least confident play only because and, – and in you saying that, what you said about Nova makes me feel better because I thought coming into this podcast that Florida State was going to be the square dog of the weekend, um, at least in the regional semis. And, you know, kind of a lot of people – still kind of fading Michigan, being that number one seed that everybody's expecting to lose. Uh, but I think this is a nice coaching mismatch here for Florida State. You have Leonard Hamilton, who's been at Florida State for, I believe, over two decades now, and uh, trying to get through to his first Final Four this weekend. Um, he's gotten close a few times in this regional weekend, but never gotten to the Final Four. Seminoles also talked about some of the experience mismatches. Seven juniors and seniors in the rotation compared to five for Michigan now without livers. Um, and also, um, you know, you had a Florida State team. These, these upperclassmen went to the Sweet 16 in 2019, regional final in 2018 for those that were, you know, a part of the team and playing a little bit as freshmen there. 
and also Michigan's top players as far as offensive production outside of Livers are Franz, Franz Wagner and uh, Hunter Dickinson. And I think the matchup here could lend itself towards another nice game for Dickinson. But you're still talking about a freshman in Dickinson and a sophomore in Wagner. So I think I, there's, you know, between the, the roster and the coaches, a little bit of an edge as far as experience here for Florida State. Um, and also the other thing that really made me like Florida State here, uh, the defensive efficiency rankings that Mich- Michigan has faced uh, in its first two opponents in the comp- NCAA tournament, rather. Texas Southern 213th, LSU 125th. And even if we want to go back to the last game that Michigan played in the Big Ten tournament against Ohio State, Ohio State 81st in defensive efficiency. And you talked about the Buckeyes obviously not being, uh, you know, always, the you know, buttoned up on the defensive end of the floor. Florida State 31st in defensive efficiency, and they're even better on the offensive side of the floor. The Knolls are 14th in offensive efficiency. So, honestly, uh, I think I'm getting the slightly better team at the present time. They've won both of their NCAA tournament games by double digits. Rounding into form at the right time, as square as that might sound, I like the Seminoles to get this win. I'll take the short number, though. Like I said, though, a little concerned about this being a public dog. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see it too public. I'm looking at it right now. There, there's a majority of tickets on Michigan. Not much, 55% um, are on Michigan. Uh, and I think that's because of just how they played in the, the final couple minutes against that LSU team. But when I go back and look at that game, uh, I don't know how many people really pay attention to it. But in my opinion, the only reason that they won that game was because of a role player. And that and that's the kid, uh, Sean D. Brown Jr. The kid yeah. came off the bench. He scored Throwing a season the high. Yeah, dropped 21. Um, and that's not even what his normal game is. He's more like an X-factor. Goes in, hustles his ass off. He, he, he makes defensive stops. He gets loose balls, that type of stuff. Um, but he all of a sudden became this huge scoring threat in this game. And without him, you know, LSU walks away with W. I don't expect, as much as I like him as a player, I don't expect him to have that same kind of game here against Florida State. Because um, if they need that, they're going to be in trouble, which I think is going to be the case, unfortunately. Uh, I think this is where Michigan, Michigan's road ends uh, against this Florida State team. I like them outright. Uh, taking the points is fine, but uh, I would take them as, on the money line as well. So some agreement there on the Florida State Seminoles, the last team left standing in the or, – <laughs> No, that's right. The Syracuse is in the ACC now. I almost said Florida State, the last team left standing in the ACC, but that is uh, not true. Well, it could be by the time this game goes off, but let's hope that Syracuse gets that outright win. Um, Let's move on and go to uh, Gonzaga and Creighton, uh, as this game is a regional semifinal up in the West region. Um, This is actually the first game of the uh, day on Sunday, so we jumped ahead there in terms of chronology, but uh, obviously Gonzaga, a big favorite here of 13 points, total in the game of 158.5. And I'm gonna, I'm actually going to back, I'm going to plug my nose here and take the points and back Creighton, and I say plug my nose because obviously Gonzaga is a freight train that some, <laughs> and I don't blame, would not want to step in front of, but I do think it's worth noting that in the last six, the Zags are 3-3 three and three against the spread, I do think even with these freight trains, the betting market catches up. Um, and so, uh, you know, by the way, those that three and three could very easily be two and four. There was a cover by the hook 
in the round of 32 against Oklahoma. I think I saw Alex, our producer, tweeted that he was on Oklahoma. So um, condolences to him on that one. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, I, as I said, I think the betting, train, betting market catches up to these freight trains. And so despite the fact that we were all saying, you know, coming in, Oh, Gonzaga, easy road to the Final Four. And by the way, I don't think it's so easy when we get to the other regional semifinal uh, in this West region in just a minute. But nonetheless, uh, even if you do think that Gonzaga is going to breeze right through the Final Four, the betting market is fully aware of that as well. The people that hang up these numbers are, you know, definitely going to try and make it interesting. And that's why that is enough by itself for me to give Creighton a look here. And then also, just I think emotionally, Creighton, and it was not a team that I was very high on the first weekend. I had Santa Barbara taking them out, and then I doubled. I went back and faded mm-hmm. them again, uh, taking Ohio plus the four, five and a half or whatever, and, and obviously lost that one. Santa Barbara, fortunately, covered the number for me. But I didn't think it's a Creighton team. Their entire – I've talked a lot about experience here. Their entire starting lineup is up juniors and seniors. So I think there's a little too much pride here for Creighton just to go out and lay an egg, and granted, maybe they don't have to lay an egg to still lose by 15 to 20 against Gonzaga, but I think they got enough fight in them to be competitive and keep this to, you know, 9 to 12, let's say. So, uh, obviously not my my biggest play, but and, and like I said, it's a plug-your-nose special, uh, but I'm going to be on Creighton catching all these points. What, so, as a, as a Creighton backer in this one, what are you hoping to see as far as the pace of play? Oh, I would definitely want it to be slower. Right, slower pace of play, yeah, take take Gonzaga a little bit out of the rhythm. I, I didn't say this to you earlier, but I think I'm going to have a play in this game. Um, I think I'm going to be taking Gonzaga's first half under in total points. I'm seeing it at 41. By the way, it's a good point that you mentioned. As I look now, Gonzaga fourth in adjusted tempo to Creighton 143rd. Yeah, see, see like I, I get what you're saying, wanting the back Creighton. I'm, I'm kind of taking that part of it out as far as, like, God forbid, they do get down huge, which is totally a possibility. Right. Um, and I, I'm going to be playing the first half under here with Gonzaga. I had Gonzaga's first half over last game. Your first um, half team total under or first half team, team under? Team total. Team total, sorry. Okay. Um, in the last game. And they honestly looked like they didn't stop scoring the entire first half. And it hit with, like, I think, a little less than two minutes left in the half. And I turned it off and came back to it, and I'm like, like God, they only scored, I think, two more points after that. Like, it, it ended up being a lot closer than than it, it looked like it was going to be. So when I'm looking at that, and the line's almost the exact same number, and I know Creighton plays a much better uh, defense than uh, their previous matchup for Gonzaga, I, I like the spot here with them not being able to get over that threshold. Uh, Creighton has held their teams previously, like, in the 30s, Look, nobody's Gonzaga. They can score at will with most teams. But I think Creighton's going to have the game plan of let's really slow it down here, uh, especially in the first half. And, look, Gonzaga might come out a little bit rusty with this little bit of a layoff. Um, and, again, the fact that Creighton wants to slow the game down, I think is going to play into that position of having Gonzaga not get over that 40-point threshold in the first half. So first half, Gonzaga team total under 41. I'll be playing it for probably two units. 
We certainly hope your ticket cashers because that would certainly benefit mine as well with a spread this hefty. Let's go to the other West Regional semifinal where it should be a really fun one between two teams from that Pac-12 conference that showed out very well in the first weekend. It's the Oregon Ducks, a short two-and-a-half point underdog against the University of Southern California Trojans. Total of 139 in this game. Uh, and, Bill, I have to back, and we're actually going to have a consensus play here. This is, along with Baylor, my other max play for the weekend. I'm on the Southern Cal Trojans, minus the short number, minus the two and a half. Uh, first off, I do think, by the way, and I know that it's the tournament and they lost to USC the first time they played. Uh, I, 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 I think right now Oregon's flying high off that win against Iowa in a weird way, I know that we talk more about this in the regular season. I think this could be a little bit of a sandwich spot for Oregon where they come in a little fat and happy off the Iowa win, getting ready to face Gonzaga in all likelihood in the Elite Eight in that regional final. Uh, and I know I get it. Like, they wouldn't take a team that they already lost to lightly. So it's not your, you know, textbook definition of sandwich spot. But I just think right now, you know, they've had four or five days to, you know, puff their chests out after that. Iowa victory. So you, you also have, by the way, 59% of the tickets early per the Action Network on Oregon, but we're seeing 61% of the cash on the Trojans. I mentioned USC winning the uh, regular season meeting against the Ducks by double digits. Also, USC just right now playing like a team that can get all the way to the Final Four and maybe give Gonzaga a scare and perhaps win that game because they've got double-digit victories over Drake and Kansas in the tournament, and obviously the Kansas win was an absolute beatdown. So I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about narratives and, and just kind of things that happened with uh, the, the COVID stuff. I would have liked to have seen the UCLA or the VCU-Oregon game. I would have liked to have seen that game take place because the Rams were actually 13th in defensive efficiency this year. So, and this is why I'm also going to back USC here. Oregon beat Iowa, and we know that defense is not Iowa's calling card. So, I would have liked to have seen, like, I had Oregon played well and scored a ton against VCU – it definitely changed, would have changed how I would look at this game. But since we never got to see that game, I can only begin to think that against a USC team that's fifth in the nation in defensive efficiency, it's going to be a totally different game uh, than what Oregon played against Iowa. And that's not going to be good for a Ducks team that in that first meeting against USC only scored 58 points in a 72-58 loss. So uh, much better defensive opponent uh, this time around than the Iowa game. Uh, and, you know, again, just bringing it back to USC, Kansas 14th in defensive efficiency, by the way, and the Trojans just dropped 85 points on them. So <laughs> I think they are absolutely rolling. Obviously love the Mobley brothers. Uh, and, 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 hey, Ken Palm seems to like them a lot here and I think would probably have this line longer than two and a half because you're looking at on the Ken Palm power ratings, USC as the sixth best team in the nation to Oregon's 17th. So if you're giving me the sixth best team versus the 17th best team on a neutral court, and I only have to give two and a half points, that also makes me like the short favorite here. Fight on. I like the Trojans to win this game by anywhere from five to ten points. Yeah, like you said, uh, it's a consensus play for us. Uh, I'm on USC. I, I've been saying their praises all pod long. Um, I really like the job that Andy Eiffel has done with these guys. And, you know, 
some people remember him. Not everybody, though. He was the former coach of Dunk City, yep. right? Florida Gulf Coast. Yes, sir. And uh, the thing that he does really well is something that Steve Beichel, unfortunately, does a bad job with. Both of their teams don't shoot the ball well from the free throw line. The difference is with USC, and very similar to what he did uh, with Florida Gulf Coast, they just keep their foot on the gas all the way through the end of the game. There's no let up. There's no let's slow it down. We have the lead. We're quote-unquote playing against the clock now. He doesn't view it that way. He understands that his team, his biggest, his team's biggest disadvantage, when you look up and down the statistical categories, is their free throw percentage. I mean, they shoot sub-65% from the foul line, 328th in the country. That's abysmal. And when you're talking about a game where the line's only one or two, normally I'd side with the team here who's shooting better from the free throw line. But this USC team, they're going to be up, and I think they're going to be up big. You said anywhere from 5 to 10. I'm not going to be shocked if we see, like, a 15-point victory here from the Trojans. I think they're that good. Um, nothing against Oregon. I think they're, I, I said, I think they're one of the most undersheeted teams in this tournament um, headed into it, but I think they're running into a buzzsaw with this USC team. I like USC. I like them big. I'm going to be maxing them for three units. Um, there's not much else I can really say. You, you, you took a lot of those good points with them being number five in defensive adjusted efficiency. Uh, that's going to spell problems for Oregon. Oregon's going to need to shoot the ball very, very well from outside. Uh, is going to be pretty much their only chance. But I see USC getting up on top of them here. And you saw it with the Kansas game, right? Like, Kansas to start the second half, it looked like they were going to go on a little run, and USC was like, nope, we're going to get one stop, we're going to bang a three, we're going to get an N1. And they just have just so many weapons, especially inside, outside. Mobley brothers have been phenomenal. Um, yeah, USC, USC, big in this one. Love the confidence on your end as well. Um, you know, we I've asked you about a few of these potential regional final matchups. Might as well ask you about a possible Gonzaga-USC game. With how well USC's been playing, but also with Gonzaga just running through teams, I wonder where that line could go. Any thoughts? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. If that line is inside of four points, I'm taking USC money line. Sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if because right. I wouldn't be shocked if it comes out as Gonzaga's six and a half seven point favorite. That's kind of what I was thinking. Well, I was going to say like six and a half seven. So if it comes that short, then I would probably agree with you that USC probably wins the game. Yeah, yeah. So I'll be curious to see what it comes out as. But um, like I said, I'll be excited if we can get that matchup. That should be a great game. One game that we know is happening features another team from the Pac-12, and that's the UCLA Bruins taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're seeing UCLA a six-and-a-half-point underdog here, total of 145-and-a-half. Bill, I don't have a lot here, uh, so I guess I'll just kind of mention that part of the reason I don't have as much is, like I said, I'm kind of treating Alabama and Arkansas the same as far as, listen, I don't, I fully respect the talent and what they've done this year. Um, uh, but, again, the lack of experience this time of year always is enough to kind of give me a little pause, not that it would be a reason not to back either team. But as I said, like UCLA, I, I kind of think they are starting to. And I know it was Abilene Christian, but, hey, they still beat them by 20, right? So, you know, in a game where the spread's four and a half, when you win by 20, you're doing something right. And, obviously, against BYU, uh, they take care of business there. So I think that Mick Cronin's boys – are starting to play a little bit better. Um, but Alabama has just looked like the Alabama in the regular season. Like, it doesn't look like they've really uh, been, you know, mentally thrown off at all by playing in the tournament. So 
I, I, I guess the point I'm getting at here is I think both teams are coming in playing pretty well. Um, and I think this line's about where it should be. So I'm not going to have a play, but you like the Tide. Yeah, I do. I like the Tide. I feel like I've been riding them uh, pretty frequently as of late. Uh, you know, they, they took care of business pretty handily against Maryland, like you mentioned. And I think that this is where UCLA's train ends. You said, you know, typical. They're not, I wouldn't say they're a Cinderella team. Grant, they're an 11 seed in the Sweet 16. Um, I think this UCLA. is where, What did I say? I, well, I said, yeah, it's still UCLA. Yeah, it's still UCLA, exactly. So I, I just think Bama's got the firepower to put them away. I think everybody looks at Alabama and the games they've played, and they're like, wow, they're a really strong offensive team. And, you know, they, not that they score at will, but they get up and down the floor really well. And, look, I'm the first one to say it. I, I did not expect anything from Bama this year. I was pretty staunch in my stance that uh, Javon Quiverly, Quinterly was uh, not going to be a, a factor at all, and I couldn't be more wrong. If there's a six-man uh, award that goes out for college basketball, I think he would have to be at the top of that list. He's played unbelievable this year. Uh, hats off to him. Um, but what they really do well is play defense. You know, they're, they're third in defensive adjusted efficiency. Uh, that's going to be the biggest issue here. UCLA can score the ball, but they're going to have a lot of trouble against these guys. And when you look at the other side of it, UCLA, they're, they're 63rd in the country defensively. Um, Alabama's going to be able to get up and down the floor like they want to. UCLA has no problem with that pace. And I think it's going to play in the hands of Alabama here. I think that they're going to probably be able to get the job done uh, as far as covering the spread. Uh, so I'm going to be backing them probably just for a unit. I'm not going too, too crazy with it. Um, but, yeah, I think this is where the, the end of the line is for the Bruins and Bill Walton's Conference of Champions. Well, I, I, if that's the case and the chalk holds in this game and in the first game we talked about between Oregon State and Loyola Chicago, then all of a sudden he's just going to be down to one. Uh, with USC or Oregon. We're obviously expecting USC to move through there. Bill, any final word here before we get out of Dodge? Just going to ask you, what do you got? What do you have as your finals right now? Final two teams. Yes. Gosh, you know, I was going to be chalky and just say Gonzaga-Baylor, but I am kind of drinking the the USC Kool-Aid right now. So, uh, gosh, you're putting me on the spot here, but... You know, and I, okay, I'm gonna go. I'll go Florida State Baylor. There you go. Ooh, I got Jimmy Leonard Hamilton getting all the way to the State. national title game. Okay, okay, I like it. I like it. It's different. Haven't heard that one yet, so I like that. You, man, have the same way with you. I want to be chalky and say I've been saying Baylor over Gonzaga pretty much all year. Um, and <laughs> this USC team has looked strong though. I'm actually going to go a little bit different as well. I'm going to say Gonzaga over Arkansas. Arkansas, okay. Yeah, I think that's a little bit because I'm a little biased in the fact that I have two tickets on Arkansas right now to win the national title that I forgot about that took midseason. So I'm hoping (laughs) they can get there just so I can hedge out of it and make some money that way. But they've been playing well, too. I feel like they've been disrespected and, and, and underrated throughout this tournament. So I think that they have a chance. Let's wrap things up. There he is, Bill Christie, Lucha Larry. You know him on gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2. My name is Greg Frank, at Undercover Greg, for all of my gambling picks. Follow the podcast as well, at full underscore slate underscore pod. Bill, a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we can talk before the Elite Eight. Will do. Sounds good. There he is, Bill Christie. I'm Greg Frank. Again, this has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone, enjoy the Sweet 16. 
And of course, please play responsibly. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.